my mom's Whitney. My mom's Felicity. And, and they, they are getting healthy. Welcome to the Mom's Weighing In podcast. Welcome to Mom's Weighing In. I am um, checking in, and this week I did my best and lost three and a half pounds, and I'm at a total of 14. So I've met our first um, goal from our goal episode of losing 5% by the 4th of July. That's great, Whitney. I'm super proud of you. Thanks. I was, I was really relieved this morning. <laughs> You're working hard. Uh, so this week, this is Felicity, I lost 1.2, bringing my total to 8.4 pounds. Not quite as much as I was hoping, so I could make up ground this next week to make, reach that goal. I'm still like 8.6 pounds from reaching that goal, so... But halfway. Yeah. And even if you extend it to um, August with our other one, that's okay. Yeah. Well, I've said to myself, I'm going to just keep trying to reach that goal this week, see how far... I come and how close I come, and then depending on how much more I have to go, adjust that way. I think, for me, this has been the slowest weight loss that I've had. Usually when I start a diet, I lose really big at the first, and this I've only lost a little bit and a little bit, which maybe is healthier. It's definitely more sustainable. Yeah, next week I'll check in with that and let you guys know kind of what the new date for my plan on that goal is, because I want to stay accountable. Perfect. So this week, I'm very excited about our podcast episode. Me too. We are going to be talking about different aspects of mothering, and if it goes well, we're hoping to maybe do a segment like this more often. So it's a little extended. We're going to talk more than 20 minutes, and we have three additional moms here with us, and I'm going to go ahead and let them introduce themselves. I'm Serena. I am a mom to two boys. I've got a two-year-old Neil and a eight-month-old baby, Davy. I am Ada. I'm actually Whitney and Serena's mother, and the other girl that's here is my daughter-in-law. I have six children, and I'm a grandma of seven children. I'm Jess. I have two kids, two girls. And Millie is two. She'll be three at the end of this year. And then Sutton is almost 11 months old. Okay, so with the extra moms comes extra kids. We're going to do our best to keep things quiet, but if you hear them in the background, just know they're cute. I think the next obvious thing we should talk about is genders. I've got three boys. Serena has two boys. Jess has two girls. And then... Um, my mom, Ada, and Felicity both have a mix. So, mom and Felicity, was one gender harder than the other? So far, so my oldest is nine. So far, I find my daughter, who is seven, to be harder than my boys. So, when I had four girls and two boys, and... I really felt like until they were about a year, there wasn't a whole lot of difference. They, a baby is a baby. Um, but for me, my girls were a lot easier. They, now, I have to say that they're not dram- dramatic girls, you know. Um, and then, Except for Serena. <laughs> Serena can be a little dramatic. <laughs> but with my boys, Mitchell was my oldest son. He did not like school, and that was by far a very extremely hard thing. He's a good man. He's really good at lots of things, but getting him through school was extremely difficult. 
I think we also need to point out the fact that you cried when you found out he was going to be a boy. Yeah, I had three girls first, <laughs> and then I got pregnant again unexpectedly, so that was hard too. And then found out he was a boy, and I just didn't know what I was going to do. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then my second son, Spencer, is um, gay, and so that was one of the harder things I went through as a parent as well. So maybe that's why boys feel harder. To you just me. got two exceptionally hard boys. <laughs> more, more trials, yeah. Yeah, I think, too, like, that's, for me, it's the same thing. My oldest is, like, very sweet. His personality is one that he's helpful and sweet, and he wants to please people. Where my daughter's personality is, I'm going to do what I want to do, no matter what she's that is. Like yeah, she is. Yeah. She's she's a lot like me. <laughs> is it because so. she's a girl or because she's similar to you? Right, and, and so I don't know that it's gender, necessarily, or personality, and that's kind of the same it sounds more with you, Ada. Yeah. Well, I know that a lot of moms just, when their girls go through, like, puberty and they start having their period. And my girls all started really young. Like, they were 10 and 11 years old. And by the time they got to be 13 or 14, they'd kind of got through that ups and downs of having their periods and got in the routine of it. And then they started into the more teenage stuff, like dating and driving and boys and junior high and high school. And I just think that they had a little bit longer period of time to go through those emotional things. So maybe Do you think it was beneficial to have our periods earlier? I'm, well, I know I started when I was 10 and a half, so it's, it's hard when you're that young to be in elementary school and start your period, but I, I do. I think it helped for you guys. Yeah, That's interesting. Yeah, we haven't got to the stage of hormones, and so my story could be completely different. My boys may be, because they, boys can be mean, my brothers were mean, with those hormones, like boys can be kind of aggressive. So it'll be interesting to see those dynamics change. How things play out. Yeah, because even in more recent years, as my oldest has gotten older, he's gotten a little more, well, the only issue we've ever had with him is lying. He likes to tell, he doesn't want to get in trouble. Like I said, he's a people pleaser. So he'll say something any way possible to, if he thinks he might be in any kind of trouble, he'll make a, he'll make it up or lie. I don't know. So. That's, but that's the only issue I've had with him. With my daughter, it's been a lot harder. And I think because with my daughter, too, it's a lot harder for me emotionally. There, there's like this, like you were saying, she's a lot like me. So sometimes it feels like she's like she's not competing with me, but she's just like... Clashing. Yeah, clashing, like butting heads all the time. I'll say, that's cute. She'll go change her clothes. <laughs> so there's that little bit of frustration. I think, too, when you're similar, because Mitchell, who is one of my more difficult ones... We're a lot alike in a lot of ways. And I think that you look at them and you see some of the things that, like your bad traits, you see them in them and you just don't want them to have that. You're just like, I just don't want you to have to deal with that subconsciously. So you're kind of like nagging about those things. Extra yeah. conscious of it. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think about which kid of mine has my personality the most. Oscar, definitely. You think so? Yeah. <laughs> Oscar told me he needs to go to the doctors to talk to him about how anxious he is. I told him he sleepwalked, and he had like a complete meltdown because he had sleepwalked. So I said, well, maybe it was just a dream. So first thing this morning, before his eyes were even open, Mom, did I sleepwalk last night? And I said, no, but he goes, oh, good. It was really just a dream then. And I was like, yeah, it must have been. <laughs> and he's like, so have you called the doctor yet? I'm like, no, it's 8 in the morning. We talked about it last night. So... He's definitely got my anxiety. <laughs> Did you have anxiety that young? I don't think I don't think you had anxiety. I, I'm talking. Oscar's more like a people person. Yeah. He wants yeah. to be around people and reach out to others. And he's interested in others. 
And you're like that. Yeah. And he has empathy for others as well. Oh, like you do. We definitely both have a lot of empathy. That mm-hmm. is true. Which is so great. Yeah. Because that's something I've had to teach my kids is empathy. Not my youngest. I feel like he naturally has it. And my oldest sometimes. But my daughter, that's part of what we've gone through therapy with is teaching her how to recognize that her actions could possibly be hurting other people's feelings. That's interesting. So with my daughter, she could also be harder because my kids are adopted and they're adopted out of foster care. And so there's a lot of issues that come even before I come into play. And so I don't know if some of the things like that she butts heads with me is because we're similar or is because she's had issues from biological mother and father. So I always have to kind of consider all these like extra layers. And on our Instagram, I used one word to describe me as a mom and I chose the word protective, which is before I had kids, not a word I would have picked and thought of myself as. But I think because my kids have had a different background than if I had 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 birthed them, that I have a lot more like, I have to always be conscious of, oh, is this is this a normal child behavior or is this coming from somewhere else? Is this deeper rooted? So that's, I think, adds a little bit more challenge to saying our boys harder than girls. Definitely. In any way. Um, a while back, I said, I want my kids to feel like the world is a good place and all people are good people. And you said, I don't. <laughs> I was like, how can you not want that? But looking back at your story and... And it just proves that protective is definitely a good word for you. Yeah, I want them. I want the world. Let me rephrase that. I want the world to be a good place and all people to be good people. But I know, like having been through what I've been through, I would be naive to teach my children that that's the truth. Because once those biological parents came back in their lives as adults or whatever, if they had this fantasy that everybody's good, and then there's these bad things that could come into their lives. Oh, but everyone's good. No, that like realistic is how I always am with my kids. Like sometimes for the worst. Like ask them about coronavirus. They'll give you more facts than <laughs> they should know. That's pretty good. So that's what brings up a really good topic, though. How do you address your children? I know Jess and Serena, your guys' kids are a lot younger so it's a lot, it's probably easier to not address some of the issues going on in the world right now. Um, and then Ada, your kids are grown, so they may be coming to you for, with questions or what to do, or they may even just say, hey, you know, make a comment on Facebook or something, and then how do you react as a parent in, that, in this world? I don't do Facebook. There's <laughs> just it's like too much for me. But um, and they, a lot of the questions that they ask me now are, are the hard questions that you, you know when when you become an adult. They're just things that you just don't know. So I try to tell them the things that I have learned and done that worked for me, and they may or may not work for everybody else. And I think that's one of the big things about being a parent is deciding what works for you and your child and family. Just because it worked for somebody else doesn't mean it's going to work for you. I think I'm a lot like Whitney in the sense that I want my kids to know. Like, I don't know. I want to be open and honest with them. And I feel like even with what's gone on, you know, like, things here and there have been addressed, even with Millie being so little. But, like, 
I'm so I want them to like be realistic and understand that there, you know, there is bad in the world and that that it's, you know, there's problems out there, but I also want them to realize like that most people are good. You know, most people have good right. intentions. We just get the highlights of the bad because that's just how the news works sometimes. You know? <laughs> right. And I think too, not necessarily that every person is good, but that there's good in every person. Mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. being in the car with my dad and my aunt. My aunt just talking about how there's everybody is bad and you just don't know. You could be sitting next to a murderer on the train. And my dad was like, I don't think I've ever sat next to a murderer. <laughs> and my dad has traveled a lot and he's been a lot of places. And who knows, maybe he has sat next to a murderer, you know? Well, he doesn't stop who he talks to. He doesn't judge. He'll talk no. to who, anyone who's within the vicinity that can hear him. And that's what I think is great about the way that we were raised is I don't look at people and think, oh, they could be a murderer. I look at them and I try to see the good that they could bring into my family. And that's what I want to teach my kids is, hey, this person might make some bad choices, but you can still love them and find good in them. Yeah. And I think that's something that I try to take away too, is that you forgiveness. Like, I don't necessarily, I'm like, oh, let's find the, you know, let's find the good in them all the time. And maybe I should be more that way, but I am you know, it doesn't matter what they've done. It's not our place to judge them. It's not our place to put criticism on them. It's our place to keep ourselves safe. And so there's certain people that we keep away from because we need to keep ourselves safe. But then we can judge our own actions towards other people. Like, I'm not going to go be alone with this person because they're not a safe person or I don't feel comfortable with them. You know, one thing I won't ever teach my daughter is that she should never say no to a date. No, she can say no to as many dates as she wants because if she's uncomfortable, she should feel entitled to be uncomfortable and not go on a date. Even if she's just like, I'm not interested in that person, then she has those feelings and they should be validated. But I don't want her to be like, well, I don't want to go on a date with him because he's a redhead and I hate all redheads. Okay, that, you know, that's the extreme and we shouldn't... Well, no offense, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> like, exactly. So just like forgive people for what they've done allow them the opportunity to be good people but also safeguard yourself i was gonna say with what felicity said setting boundaries i think is really important especially with like how we were talking about the difference of raising boys and girls and i'm sure with boys you want to set boundaries too but like setting those boundaries with girls knowing that like you have to be really strict with being able to set your boundaries, tell boys no, or tell them yes, or, you know, like... Society's taught boys to be able to say no. Society's taught girls to, mm-hmm. you need to say yes, you need to be it's nice polite. and sweet and polite yeah. all the time. But that's with me with setting boundaries when you guys were in elementary school. I mean, I wanted you to respect authorities, but you would, you know, you have to ask permission to go to the bathroom. And I always said, if you're going to throw up... You get up and you run out of that classroom. You're going to take a lot more grief from your teacher saying you left without permission than all the kids making fun of you because you threw up in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So it's it's nice to teach your kids to judge a situation that you could, you know, respect adults, but there's a time when it's okay to do what you need to do. I've told Oscar the same thing. Mm-hmm. If you need to go to the bathroom or especially throw up because he throws up a lot, yeah. just get up and do it. And Don't he, have an accident. He sat classroom. at the yeah. lunchroom table and raised his hand, waiting for somebody to call on him to excuse him to go to the bathroom and ended up throwing up on the table. 
So that's obviously something we still need to work on, but we've talked about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I don't expect my daughter to be more polite than I expect my sons. You should. My son and I have had the conversation about consent because he had a girl kiss him at school. According to him, she kissed him, and you know he gets all embarrassed. He's third grade, you know, kissing tag type thing that. It does happen, but I told him, I said, how did it make you feel if she just came up and kissed you and took that, you know, like, just gave you a kiss? And he goes, I said, be honest, like, whatever you want, you know, how did it make you feel? And he's, he said, it made me feel kind of weird because I wasn't expecting it. I said, yeah, and that's not okay. She should have asked you to kiss you just the same as you should ask anybody that you're going to kiss or hold hands with, or if you're going into somebody's bubble or even giving a hug, you need to get permission to do so. You need that consent. She should have got that consent from you as well. It wasn't okay for her to not get consent just because she's a girl, and it's not okay for my son to not get consent, even at that really young age. So he's so, so into consent that he asked the horse at the little, <laughs> like that, you know, where they go on the little merry-go-round thing that the horse just kind of walks in a circle and you ride the horse. He asked the horse if it was okay that he rode the horse. But I was so proud because he was thinking about another living thing, getting permission from that thing. And he's like, the horse didn't say no. (laughs) It was cute. That is cute. But yeah, I don't expect my daughter to be more polite than my son's. And I think we kind of grew up in a world, and Ada, you probably even more so, where we were expected to be more polite than boys. I think so. Yeah. You know? I remember you telling me a story about how you had to wear a dress to school. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was ridiculous. I'm yeah. glad we didn't have I had to. to. Wear, it was required for girls to wear a dress to school until I was in third grade. Wow. However, we could say prayers in school until I was like in sixth grade. Maybe not quite that long, but that was a great part of school. And and we just adapted. Kids do that. I just We took a pair of pants, and when we went outside to recess, we pulled our pants up under our dress and went outside and... Played wild and came in and took the pants off and went back to class. You didn't store. know different, so yeah. it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the another topic I kind of wanted to talk about, Serena and Jess have two little ones under two. They had their kids pretty quick. I got my kids two at once, and then it was a few months later that then I had three. So I had no control over the spacing. I just, here's three kids. And Ada, you've kind of spaced your kids out. And Whitney, you've kind of spaced your kids out. So I kind of wanted to talk about the difference of spacing our kids out um, and, like, how, what you like about it, what people think is kind of that, what is that prime? Yeah. Are there taboo? Yeah, what is the taboo things? Like, what do you and Serena hear all the time, Jess? Do you hear anything about your spacing of your kids? Or I think a lot of people, like, the the initial thing that I say I get the most is, oh, you're so brave. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you're so brave to have kids that close together. It's like they want to almost insult you for it yeah. without really insulting you. Uh-huh. Like, like, oh, like, good for you, but, like, normal people wouldn't actually do that. You yeah. Know? <laughs> like, you're nuts, but I'm going to change it to you're really brave. Yeah. 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 I almost feel like, um, and maybe I'm wrong, But, like, I'm more judged in our society, in our community. Everyone has lots of kids, and they have them close together. Um, And it's odd if you run into somebody who has big spacing. Now, my kids are almost three years apart. And that's not a huge spacing, especially in, like, if you consider more of the world. 
Um, but I don't know anybody else whose kids are as far apart as mine. I ran into a mom who had her kids about three and a half years apart. And we both started talking about how cool it was and how different it was and what we liked. And I realized that's the first mom I've run into who had her kids purposely that far apart. So, and I always wanted to have kids. I wanted to have two close like you guys did. And then a big space. Like those two were in school and then two more. That was like my dream. And so I, oh, but now that I have a five-year-old, I'm like, I don't know if I'll have any more kids because that's starting over, you know, and there's this kind of like, he's past all of that. And I don't know if I want to start over, but then I'm sure if I did, I would be happy. But that's Whitney, you've kind of started over, not completely. You do, you do. Because I was to the point where my older two would play together and they'd kind of keep themselves entertained and I didn't have to do a lot of waking up in the night or anything. And now I do. But... Um, even just with Orson being 10 months now, it's a huge change from when he was born. Yeah. That newborn stage is definitely different because they're just so little and they're so much more involved. And I feel like that's where you're kind of judged a lot because you have this infant. And so we talked about different like breastfeeding and things like that. There's so many opinions on the internet of how you should be a mom and how it should go. Ada, I just talked to you a little bit, but... Um, for the audience, did you ever think of having more kids um, after Gracie? So Gracie's my youngest, and you have to know that she passed away when she was two. So when when we had her, when she was like about maybe a year, my husband had a vasectomy because she was number six, and we felt like we were done. Then after she passed away, I just it just happened so fast my my youngest was in kindergarten and ended up in all-day kindergarten and then she passed away and so I just went from my children at home to no children at home it was really hard so I thought about foster care and we thought about adoption we thought about having a reversal on my husband's vasectomy and and then we, we talked to other friends that had children that had died and they just some had adopted and they said that nothing really fills that space another child isn't going to fill that space so yeah. and we didn't want to bring in our, our, ch- our other children had gone through enough losing a, a sister as well, and so we didn't want to bring in foster care and have more hardships in the family. We just felt like we needed to focus on the situation that we were in. Yeah, so that's so understandable. So how did you know you were ready for that vasectomy? Yeah, while she was alive. question. Um, I, I remember when I we set the kids down, Whitney's my oldest, <laughs> and I said, we're going to have another baby, and that was number six, and Whitney's face was... Like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, she loved Gracie, and she helped me take care of Gracie so How much. How old were you when Gracie was born? 13. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, and then I just thought, okay, I guess this is enough. But I do have to say that the older your children are when you have a younger one, the more helpful they are. Yeah, the more helpful they are. It makes it makes I've noticed that just with Oscar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one, like, one pro to me thinking about having more kids is... Well, Ryan and Bertie would be super helpful Mm because Ryan was helpful even when Meryl was little. Mm -hmm. I think that's one thing that, like, I worry that I'm going to be done having kids. And then once they get old enough, I'm like, oh, actually, I'm going to want more kids because I want to, like, you want that baby and you know you're going to have the help. That's, as I have to say, as as a mother, that was one of the hardest things for me to go through is, to not be the center of someone's world. I know, or you guys where you're the young moms, it, that's overwhelming, and I understand that. But when you're not the center of someone's world, you feel it changes 
your self-confidence and your purpose in life and so much, you know. Yeah. So um, Aunt Carrie once told me, you'll know when you're done having kids when you don't want anymore. Now she has, what, eight kids? Seven. Seven? Seven. Seven. She's got quite a few kids. Yeah, seven or eight. (laughs) So I don't know that everyone would look at it that way, but... I think Did it you does ever stop wanting people? more kids? When Gracie was a baby, I felt like I, yeah, I really felt like I was done. Serena just confirmed they have seven kids. I think. I hope I didn't miss I one. I think it's seven <laughs> My question is, did you ever feel like you were done having kids before you actually, like, decided you were done having kids? Because, like, sometimes we think, like, oh, two is hard. Like, we are done at two. But, like, then there's days where I'm like, I, I didn't have like that confirmation where I just want to be done you know like there's still a little yeah. part of me that wants more kids yeah I think I think I did feel that with Gracie I she was done and she, I was done nursing her and she was just getting into diapers and I just thought this is enough you know I think I think you do get that feeling where you're like I, I have had enough babies okay yeah. so on a similar topic how did you know when you were ready for your next kid so my husband and I are both close to our siblings and not just in age, but they're our best friends. Um, and he said that he wanted the same for our kids, and so we decided we'd have about two years. And my, in between all of our kids, and my thought was a little more than two years, and his thought was a little less than two years. And so when Neil, my oldest, hit one year, Chris, my husband, was just ready to start trying to have another kid. And he wasn't pushy about it at all. He was just, as soon as you're ready, I'm ready. As soon as you're ready. And he would just bring it up randomly. As soon as you're ready to get off birth control, we can try to have another kid. And I just was kind of on the fence until Whitney announced she was pregnant. And then I was like, okay, I got to get pregnant then because I wanted to have a kid the same age as Whitney and close to, so that our cousin, our kids could be close with their cousins. And also because, um, which is kind of a topic we thought we'd talk about later, but when I had Neil, I overproduced milk a lot. And Whitney is an underproducer, and so we had always talked about how we needed to have a kid at the same time so that I could help feed her kid. And so when she was pregnant, I was like, hey, well, I got to do it so I can help feed her kid and our cousin, our kids can be close. <laughs> so that's what made me decide I was ready to get pregnant. Sorry for that push. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Our kids are really close. Even the babies enjoy mm-hmm. being together, and then our toddlers all like to be together. Yes. I think... At, like Mitchell and I are kind of the same as Chris and Serena. We wanted our kids relatively close in age. We just thought they'd have a closer bond. Like obviously things are more difficult, but there's also like benefits of having them close together. So that was like something that we were pretty on the same page with. Like we wanted kids close together. Um, and so really, I think it was like super early, like, when we were like, we're not going to try and even prevent anything, you know, but because I was nursing exclusively, I didn't get pregnant until I weaned Millie. And I think that's probably what will happen with our next kid is that just when Sutton, if she ever decides that she's done (laughs) then we'll have another kid because that's that's a good spacing, you know. Was it hard on your bodies to have kids so quickly? I noticed a bigger, and, and maybe it's just normal, like, normal whether you have them close or not, but, like, I felt like I got so many more, like, stretch marks and gained so much more weight and, like, had a harder time losing the weight after I had the baby with my second than I did with my first. 
Like I felt like I recovered a lot better with my first than I did with my second. Oh, I feel the same way after Neil. I got down to my pre-pregnancy weight fairly quickly after I had him. And I mean, my body wasn't back to how it was and it's not like I had a great body before I got pregnant anyway, but it was, I felt like I could get a normal body again. And then after I had Davey, I remember just telling my husband, oh my gosh, I can point out the exact thing on my body that I thought would never happen, you know? I just thought I would take care enough of my body that I wouldn't have this big saggy belly down here. And now it's there. And it's because I pushed two babies out of it, you know? <laughs> and I, I'm still not down to pre-pregnancy weight with Davey, and he's eight months old almost. And it's just, it was it was hard on my body, I think, having two kids right away. So mine were all more separated. Um, and I got back down to pre-pregnancy weight within a month or two after each of them. Okay. So maybe, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'd get down and then I'd start gaining again, but I got down. I think mentally... I had a harder time with my second than I did with my first two. I don't know if you're that way, but like with my first, I was so scared I was going to get postpartum depression because she was born in the middle of winter and I was like, that's just going to, like, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. But we we're like just so busy and like the high of having, you know, a brand new baby, I was fine. But with having a second, it was hard because I didn't have that same recovery mentally either. Yeah, it was the same for me, too. With Neil, I just, I mean, I've had depression most of my life and anxiety most of my life, and I just thought after I had Neil, it was going to be nuts, and I just would not be able to function. And then after I had Davey, and I mean, with Neil, I had my normal depression and stuff, but it was, it just went away quickly, and I didn't worry about it. But after I had Davey, it was just, it was so hard, and my anxiety was just awful. I've never felt anxiety worse than I did after I had him, and I... So I had to get on medication. So I'm currently on medication for it still. And it was perfect timing because Davey has had quite the life in his eight months. And so I think it's been good for me to have that help with the medication. Yeah. How about you, Mom? When did you know you were ready for your next? I, I wanted to space about two years, two to two and a half years. So after you, Whitney, I got pregnant. But then I had a miscarriage. So then I had to wait. So that put you and Whitney, you and Serena further apart. And then Serena and Julia, my my third one, they were just a little under two years apart because I just wanted another baby. And then between Julia and Mitchell, there's two years, and we just got pregnant. And then after that, it was about two and a half years for all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought Spencer and Gracie, three years. I think Spencer and Gracie, three years, yeah. Two to three years. Yeah. Um, I remember reading an article saying that the best distance between kids was three years because it gives your body enough time to adjust and it gives your kids enough time to be a kid on their own without another baby and um and then they went on saying like it's different for everybody of course but that that was a good good spacing especially for your body and that was well before I was even married and I thought okay well that's good to know so I kind of had that in my head all along um with Oscar he just surprise baby and came and then with Anton it was about three years and I got pregnant on my IUD so okay it's time but what between Oscar and no Anton and Orson we actually got a choice and I was at the doctor's anyways and I was like you know what it's almost been three years so I just text Quentin was like hey should I have my IUD removed and he's like yeah it took you forever to get into this appointment you may as well just do it so we did it and we got pregnant right away so that was our only choice and we kind of just, let's, we're consistent with our spacing and that's how we knew. 
Yeah, so we're all religious. I actually just believe every spirit that we're supposed to have gets to us somehow, mm-hmm. you know? And I so, can see that happening. <laughs> yeah. If we didn't have that push, I don't know that Quint would ever have been ready for kids, so we needed that. Right. And, like, with my family, like, my mom had me surprise, you know? And so, like, it was just meant to be, I think. And there's just so many things like that. My husband and I weren't going to try to have kids for five years after we got married. We were going to get married. We were going to finish school and do all of these things and take five years. We, um, our audience may know we're LDS. So we were actually at the LDS temple and on Valentine's Day weekend in 2011. And we both, you're not really next to each other in the temple. You don't really talk. You get time to talk afterwards and like talk about your like spiritual feelings and stuff. And we didn't go in with like the prayer in our heart that we should have kids, but we came out and we're both like, I think we should talk to each other. And we both had felt kind of a prompting to have to start our family. Well, our son was actually born Valentine's Day, 2011. He didn't come to our life for three more years, but it's like, I really equate that our spirits knew that each other were on earth and ready to be here. And so I really do believe that we all, like, you'll know because you'll feel that spirit. Like, I think there's a spiritual aspect to it. I don't know. Maybe you guys don't think that, but I really do. I agree. That's, um, I, like Jess was saying earlier, sometimes I feel like I'm done it too. And that's for the first time ever in my life. I thought two kids could be enough a couple weeks ago. And I told Chris, I just, I might be done, Chris. This is a lot. And, um, immediately I remembered spiritual experiences where I had, where I know that there is another kid waiting for me and I just, I can't be done knowing that. So, yeah. I was kind of like Felicity in a sense, like Mitchell and I wanted to wait several years, you know, really embrace being married and have our freedom, save up some money, buy a bigger home, all of this. And then I got pregnant with Millie and just like, just having that reassurance that like looking back on it, like I'm like, I can't picture it any other way. You know, I'm glad it worked out the way that it did. And it's nice like we always talk about how we had kids so young so it'll make it so like when our kids are out of the house they'll still be young enough to go and embrace marriage at that point yeah Serena brought it up earlier but we've all fed our kids a little differently Serena do you want to tell your experience so with Neil he had a hard time latching at first and um, Whitney helped me use a nipple shield and I got Neil to start nursing that way and then I was he just one day nursed without the shield and it was great I had a huge oversupply I am the at the hospital they told me I needed to nurse on both sides and so I had it in my head that if he only nursed on one side I needed to pump on the other I think that kind of contributed to my oversupply because he just was a fast eater and I produced enough milk and he ate enough on one side that that was fine um so then with my second child I was just ready to nurse and thought that it would go the same way and I knew what to do and I was like I'm not gonna pump until unless I really need to and I just won't you know I won't give him bottles unless he really needs it and I was a little bit more determined with that but then when Davey went to the doctors for his two-month checkup he was not up to birth weight yet so he was born eight pounds four ounces and at his two-month checkup he was seven pounds, 10 ounces. And so he had lost a significant amount of weight and hadn't gained it back yet, that the doctors were concerned and wanted me to supplement. 
And he said I could supplement with pumped breast milk. And I had a little bit in my freezer. I had been giving some to Whitney and I was like, well, I can do that. I don't mind pumping. And as soon as I started giving Davy a bottle consistently, that is all he wanted. Um, and so now I just exclusively pump. And it's it's been an emotional journey of not being able to connect to my child through breastfeeding, but um, it's been good too because then I can focus more on him and I only have to pump three or four times a day, whereas when I was nursing, it was six or seven times a day. So I feel like someone else can feed him a bottle and it gives them the opportunity to to bond with him as well. So It's actually, sorry, I'm gonna talk for a bit, but it's actually funny because Chris, last night was just like, why do you think Davy is so attached to you? And Davy is, he is so attached. He will scream if I just walk out of a room. He wants to see me at all times. Um, and he can be content with Chris holding him and then I walk up and he just flips out if I don't take him from him. And Davy isn't the one who nursed and Neil is, but there's there's still just other ways that attach to a baby too, besides breastfeeding. For I, sure, oh sorry. I also think it's kind of a second child thing. <laughs> Anton is my second. He's definitely the most attached to me. What do you guys think? Sutton is so much more so than Millie. Like, so much more so. And I think part of it, like, I nursed her exclusively, you know? And so that's a lot of her dependency on me is, like, when she wants to eat and she likes to eat, she needs me. But she is definitely a lot more than Millie ever was. And I nursed Millie, too, so... So Meryl is my youngest and he is my most attached to me and I did not breastfeed at all um, because I adopted them and I got Meryl when he was five days old so I had him from the time he was an infant and he was on a bottle from the time he was an infant and we did other things though we did what's called kangaroo care and so we would just lay him like you know, like pull pull the shirt down so he was better on our chest or that kind of thing. And Ben and I both did that, but he does seem to be more attached to me. I think he's just a mama's boy. I I don't know. Like, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's bonding more to me than it is bonding to Ben because I would say that we definitely both have that bonding. Ben took just as many shifts feeding Meryl as I did. We had a pretty good routine and schedule down for feeding. So I don't know that the attachment for us with Meryl came from feeding. And I can definitely say my attachment to Ryan and Birdie did not come from feeding because Birdie was two when she came to us. However, with Birdie, I did rock her to sleep every single night for hours, like from about 8 p.m. until 3 a.m. almost every night I had to sit and hold her and rock her otherwise she wouldn't sleep. She went through a big attachment phase. Yeah so she's your second so she's my, my second. theory. <laughs> yeah but I would say she's my least like although Ben disagrees he she he says it's a show because we were talking kind of about her before she is worried where mom is she's the only one who came with me today she you know so she kind of puts up this tough shield or whatever but she does maybe she maybe is more attached to me than Meryl she just, she, doesn't, show it she just doesn't show it the way I would expect it to be seen sure what do you think mom I don't know I always felt like there's a stage between like six and ten months where they're just clingy and that's yeah. where all three of the infants are right now I'm coming out of it yeah. <laughs> Just as excited. Yeah, they, they come out of it a little bit. But I think any child always wants their mother before anyone else. Sure. That's just normal. Do you yeah. feel me as a second child was more clingy with Whitney's theory? I don't think so. I think Julia was more clingy than you were. I can see that. 
Yeah. So how did you feed your babies? Oh, all of, I, I breastfed all my babies, and then I went straight from breastfeeding to a sippy cup. Well, I mean, I started working on a sippy cup when they were nine months old, so none of them ever had a bottle. Hi, Millie. Okay. At all? None of us had a bottle? None of them. Well, Serena, I'm going to take that back. Serena had a bottle with juice in it. Serena had a bottle with juice in it a little bit, but none of the other babies had bottles at all. And I always just felt like it was so nice not to have to clean a bottle or, or sanitize a bottle or get up in the night and fix the bottle. It was just, just there, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm jealous of that. <laughs> so I wanted to exclusively breastfeed all my babies, and I did a lot of research, and I was prepared, and I went into a working card and saw a lactation consultant, um, but I found out I had hypoplasia and couldn't feed my babies enough. I had to top up. So I use a little bit of formula, but for the most part, I've got donor milk, like Serena said. And with this most recent baby, I've had a lot of donor milk from Serena and Jess, which has been a huge relief. I there's people out there who want to give it to you, but there's a lot of people out there who want it. So it's a lot of work to get it. So it's nice to have these guys as a backup. I, it's funny. I think that as a mom, you always look at a different situation and think like, oh, that would be so nice. You know, like, because I see you guys give your babies bottles and I'm like, I wish I could just like give Satin a bottle, she'd just go to bed with a bottle, you know? Like, and I'm sure there are times where you're like, I just wish my baby would nurse or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so it's funny to see the, the like, perspective. It doesn't matter what you do. Like, there are times that you're like, oh, that would be so nice that I was in a different situation. That's interesting because I've never felt that guilt because it wasn't an option for me. And so I think it's probably a self-made guilt. Like, yeah. Or, you know, dilemma, because where, for me, it was like... <laughs> <laughs> that noise wasn't the kid. <laughs> for me, it was like, well, this is the only option. This is the only type of formula, which smelled horrible. <laughs> we used the alimentum. This is what you have to do. Then that's... And this is the only type of bottle you can use, because everything else he spit up. It just kind of took all the options away, and it was just like, this is how my baby's fed, and he's happy, and it didn't slow him down one bit he is the yeah. most like coordinated child i know he's very smart really it's i 100 percent fed his best yes it doesn't matter how as long as you feed them that's like i said from the beginning the best advice you get is what works for you and your baby mm -hmm. and and your pediatrician can give you some advice too i think and your parents and friends but you have to do what works you just have that mother's intuition mm -hmm. that, like, you know what's going to be best for it, too. Uh -huh. And that's... Oh, sorry, go ahead. But I was just going to say that's something that I thought... I mean, my youngest child right now is 22, just mm -hmm. turned 22. And there, I still look back on things and think, I didn't do this right. I could have done this different. I could have done this better. I think as moms, we beat ourselves up a lot. And I don't think... And I think... Like, like Felicity said, we belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I think part of that is Satan making us feel like we're not good enough. So we won't be, we're not going to be able to be good parents, and that's the most important job that we can do. And I, I really think we need to just focus on the good things that we do and not, not beat ourselves up. Because I, I just was going to say, I think in the moment that all of us are really trying to do our best. Yeah. We are. I can say, honestly, every single one of you women I know to be a good mom. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's interesting because if I were to ask all of us, 
have you thought I'm a good mom? I don't know that we would all raise our hands having personally had that thought. But if I were to ask, have you ever had the thought I'm a bad mom? Every single one of us would raise our hands. And I guarantee you, you guys are not bad moms. You are good moms. And so there is just mom guilt naturally that we have. And it's something that I think if we can change how we think of ourselves as mothers, we're going to raise kids that can think of themselves as good in whatever they're trying to accomplish. That's a good thing. There's that quote. I don't even know who said it. Have you guys seen it? It's like the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Isn't uh-huh. it so I think, Ab- like I think Abraham home? Lincoln said it. Is that oh, what it is? Yeah. I think. I'm not sure. But that's what your like, comment of Satan is. Because like, a lot of our belief is that you know, like family is so important. That's a really big basis of our religion. And so... You know, if Satan can take away the mom and destroy that, like, mm-hmm. part that really, really is, like, the basis of the family, I think. Yeah. It definitely feeds a lot of guilt. Well, and look at what's happening in the world right now. I mean, this is 2020. Um, we've gone through... You had to look at your watch to know where it was. I was going to say the date. But it only says that it's only the 24th. That's not helpful. It's June 2020. We've, we've been in this year for six months, and it has been chaotic. Our friend joked the other night, like, Jumanji, June, Jumanji. Because we've had some, like... Level 7. Yeah, level 7. We've had so many crazy things happen this year between rioting and... Mm protests and coronavirus and weird insects and just just a number of things and we believe that the family is being attacked on all fronts and so many of these issues obviously not the insects but so many of these issues could be solved if the family was solved if the family unit could be a place of positivity and love and tolerance you wouldn't see that hate go out into the world because they would have learned how to love and accept and forgive in the home and that's the mother's you know that's the mother's job and father's job it really is both you know but like you said i think satan is attacking the moms to make sure that that doesn't happen because if we hate ourselves how are we going to love our children right the right way yeah of course we're going to love them So I'm going to let Serena read us this quote, and that will be the end of our podcast for today. And I think things are well enough. We can do this again. Yeah. So it's just the quote that Jess said. It says, the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. It's a poem by William Ross Wallace. Read the rest. Read the rest. It says, "Um, that praises motherhood as a preeminent force for the change in the world. The poem was first published in 1965 under the title, What Rules the World? Follow our moms on social media. At Moms Weighing In. Send questions and comments to momsweighingin at gmail.com. I love you, Mom.